0: Hi, welcome to Harrison's Pod Class, where we discuss important concepts in internal medicine. I'm Kathy Handy.
1: And I'm Charlie Weiner, and we're coming to you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 44, a 64-year-old with shortness of breath and orthopnea. Here's the question. A 64-year-old man presents to the emergency department complaining of shortness of breath, orthopnea, and facial swelling that has been worsening over the past two weeks. He smokes one pack of cigarettes daily and has done so since the age of 16. On physical examination, he's dyspneic at an angle of 45 degrees or less. His vital signs are heart rate of 104, blood pressure of 160 over 98, respiratory rate of 28, temperature of 37.6, and an oxygen saturation of 89% on room air. Pulsus paradoxus is not present. His neck veins are dilated and do not collapse with inspiration. Kathy, let's pause here. Uh, there's more to the physical examination that I'm going to tell you later, but what do you make of the exam that I've told you so far?
0: You first mentioned a pulsus paradoxus, which was negative. So that refers to a fall in systolic blood pressure of greater than 10 millimeters of mercury with inspiration. The cuff pressure must be decreased slowly to appreciate this finding, and you measure it by noting the difference between the systolic pressure at which the heart sounds are first heard, which happens during expiration and then the systolic pressure at which the heart sounds are heard with each heartbeat, independent of the respiratory phase. Between these two pressures, the heart sounds are only intermittently heard and only during expiration. It can be difficult to measure the pulses paradoxus in patients who have tachycardia, AFib, or tachypnea. We also hear that it's absent, so I'm eliminating the causes of pulses paradoxus from the differential.
1: What are the causes of pulses paradoxus? such that the person examining the patient checked that?
0: So cardiac tamponade is what I think of first and foremost. Pericardial tamponade can be diagnosed with a sensitivity of 98%, a specificity of 83%, and a positive likelihood ratio of 5.9 when the pulse's paradoxus exceeds 12 millimeters of mercury in a patient with a large pericardial effusion. It's also been described in other scenarios such as massive pulmonary embolism, hemorrhagic shock, severe obstructive lung disease, asthma exacerbations, and tension pneumothorax.
1: And what do you think about the dilated neck veins that don't collapse with inspiration?
0: The main thing I'm thinking is that the patient has high right atrial pressures. Most commonly, we see this because of elevated left heart pressures, but not always. Now, if you told me that on pulmonary exam, there are crackles halfway up his lung fields bilaterally, I would be leaning towards left heart failure as the cause of his symptoms. But I'm hoping the rest of the exam gives us clues as to what's going on here.
1: Okay, well, let me tell you a little bit more about his exam. You notice initially that he has collateral venous dilation on the upper chest diffusely. He also has facial edema and one plus edema in the upper extremities bilaterally. He's a little bit cyanotic. On lung exam, his left lung is clear, but his right lung has dullness to percussion and decreased breath sounds over about the lower half of the right lung field. The rest of the examination is unremarkable, and he has no lower extremity edema at all. What do you think is going on now?
0: So the collateral venous dilation is notable and suggests that there may be mechanical venous obstruction that's the cause of his symptoms. Now this can either be intrinsic or extrinsic compression of the superior vena cava or SVC. This would also fit with bilateral upper extremity edema and the facial swelling that we heard about. The unilateral nature of the decreased breath sounds also argues against left heart failure, which would be expected to cause fluid accumulation bilaterally.
1: Okay, so the question's going to ask... Given this clinical scenario, which of the following would be the most likely finding on a CT examination of the chest? A. A central mass lesion obstructing the right main stem bronchus. B. A large apical mass invading the chest wall and the brachial plexus. C. A large pericardial effusion. D. A massive pleural effusion leading to a pacification of the right hemithorax. Or E enlarged mediastinal lymph nodes causing obstruction of the superior vena cava.
0: Like I mentioned before, the physical exam really points to a problem with the SVC. So option E, enlarged mediastinal lymph nodes causing obstruction in SVC syndrome would be the correct answer. In about a quarter of cases, the pleural effusion is seen and it's more commonly to be present on the right. So that could explain the decreased breath sounds over the lower half of the right lung field. Now, most of these cases are caused by malignancy, Usually it's a primary lung cancer and can be either small cell or squamous cell. And he's at higher risk than an average given his heavy smoking
1: history. If he didn't have the smoking history or if he didn't have the lymph node causing obstruction, are there other causes of the SVC syndrome besides malignancy? Well, all of
0: those would be really rare. So aortic aneurysms have been described to cause it. Thyromegaly, fibrosing mediastinitis if he had prior radiation to the chest, Thrombosis can cause this, and histoplasmosis is an infectious cause that can cause SVC syndrome, and even Bechet syndrome has been described, but malignancy is by far the most common.
1: Let's go through the other choices quickly. What would you expect to find on physical examination for the other choices?
0: Okay, so going down the list, A mentions obstruction of the right main stem bronchus. This would cause collapse of the right lung and decreased breath sounds over the entire right hemithorax. Actually, option D also talks about a massive pleural effusion and would cause decreased breast sounds over the right hemithorax as well. We don't hear about that on exam, so this would not be likely. Option B talks about a mass invading the chest wall and brachial plexus, and in that scenario, I would expect the patient to present with additional neurologic symptoms. Option C mentions a pericardial effusion, and as I mentioned before, you could have dilated neck veins with a positive pulsus paradoxus, but we don't have that here. None of these other choices would be expected to result in the collateral venous circulation that was noted on his exam or the facial edema.
1: Okay, great. So we think this patient has the SVC syndrome. The next part of the question asks, the initial therapy of this patient would include all of the following except A, administration of furosemide as needed to achieve diuresis, B, elevation of the head of the bed to 45 degrees, C, emergent radiation, D, a low-sodium diet, or E, oxygen?
0: Well, all of these options are treatment options for SVC syndrome. In a relatively stable patient, conservative management would probably really be the initial therapy, so that would rule out emergent radiation because you would not necessarily start with that unless the patient were more unstable. You would want to try and get a tissue diagnosis and determine the need for radiation versus chemotherapy versus even some combination of both once you had a diagnosis. There are options to scent open the SVC that may also be an early consideration. Again, this would be reserved for more unstable patients.
1: So the teaching point is that the SVC syndrome presents most commonly with facial and upper extremity edema that is asymmetric compared to the lower extremities, and it is usually caused by extrinsic compression of the SVC by a lung malignancy. Treatment in a stable patient is initially supportive pending obtaining a tissue diagnosis. And to learn more,
0: you can go to Harrison's chapter on the respiratory system and critical care illness.
1: This is Jim Shanahan, publisher at McGraw-Hill. Harrison's pod class is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. Go to accessmedicine.com to learn more.